Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. This is part two of the episode with Bose and Fonville. We have him back on here. And this is going to be a very passionate episode for us both because we've worked together on a buoy tender the past year and a half. But Bozen's primary career in the Coast Guard has been in the Black Hole Mafia, the Aton world. <laughs> and it's a very unknown side to the Coast Guard because a lot of people, when they join the Coast Guard... It's a mission of the Coast Guard Aton, but we oftentimes, when we think of the Coast Guard, we think of the search and rescue portion of it. We think of the rescue swimmers jumping out of the helicopter, saving lives. And then you also know, if you've ever been on the water as a wreck boat or you see the Coast Guard patrolling around, those are also the, you know the patrol boats looking around. But we also have this side of the Coast Guard that goes and works on buoys in the water to ensure the safe navigation of those wrecking commercial vessels. So all the way up to those big giant oil ships and the cruise ships and the cargo ships, we have all these ships that need navigation safe uh, buoy channel transits. And how we do that is we get the buoys out there. Now, who brings the buoys out there? They just magically appear out there like we all think when we're navigating on the waters. I've never seen anyone touch one of these buoys. It's just there. Right. Well, it's the buoy boats that are navigating <laughs> to go through there. So we have the 175s and the 225s, which we'll get more in-depth into on the platforms. But they're the ones that are running around with all the buoys. Who knows where these buoys come from? They come from what's called the buoy yard where they actually manufacture them. And the buoy tenders will come out there, deliver them to the spot, remove the old ones, keep it all updated. And the Coast Guard actually does all this. So there's this whole side to the Coast Guard that you might not know until you've joined. And everyone's had that first experience on a buoy tender. So we'll start out with Bozen and his first experience, which was that 175 he mentioned in the last episode of Jacksonville. So Bozen. <laughs> yeah, as part of um, getting orders to the Maria Bray, I actually... What I left out of the first episode, too, was when I was talking to some of the people that were on the Polar Sea with me, a couple of them had the old 180, 180-foot buoy tender experience. So, And we actually had one there in Seattle, too. So I got to go over and tour that and looked like it would be a fun job. So I tried to get a, a 180 out of off the Polar Sea and stuff like that, but nothing was available. So once that 175 was open, I knew I had to put it on my list and go experience the Aton side of the house uh, just because it's from what I've heard is you work hard, play hard, and uh, it's it's a lot of long days, a lot of fun days. Where else in the Coast Guard do you get to sling sledgehammers and hit stuff with and cut stuff with torches and run cranes and everything like that all in the same environment? So when I got on the 175, very excited about the orders when I got them. To go experience it and seeing that you know my first buoys i remember it we were in savannah and we were working the savannah ship channel and we pulled the buoys on deck watching that and then learning how you know how much the chain worked and the, how they were all held to the bottom with the sinkers and stuff like that um, and just getting out on deck and working together as a team and you knew what you did once you put that buoy back over the side, you know, you, you worked the light, 
This was back before we had LEDs. So, you know, you actually had to climb the buoy, you had to time the light, you had to check the value voltage, you had a whole system you had to go through for it that you had to go to training for. But you put the buoys back together and then you, you back off the buoy and you, you see the results of what you did. And knowing that you marked that channel so the ships can get in and bring all the supplies that the country needs to operate on the water side. It's, it's just a, it's a very important aspect and avenue and, and job to do. Over 90% of goods that come to America come through the shipping ports. And it wouldn't be possible if they didn't know how to get into those shipping ports with safe navigation from the buoy tenders. Right. Yep. And you know, and you know that the work that you're doing, you work that light, it's going to flash properly so that ship can get in that channel. Uh, everything from a buoy to a, a navigation range to anything. We have from private aids to federal aids and, and uh, yeah. Well, I think too what gravitated me to be the buoy tender because I requested one at boot camp was I had done essentially white hole work on other platforms as well first. And it was kind of this idea behind it that people were telling me, you have to go to the buoy tender. And I said, why do I have to go to the buoy tender? What is it? What, what is it about the buoy tender? Mm-hmm. And it came from a very group of people and a lot of Mainers. They like to work with their hands and actually physically do stuff. And they said, well, you'll be seeing a lot of watch and doing a lot of paint work on a white hall, but on the black hall, you'll get to work with your hands a lot, bash stuff and be throwing shackles around and get <laughs> yep. dirty. And that was right up my alley coming from where I come from. And I know there's a lot of hard workers in this country that end up making the decision to join the Coast Guard that have similar work backgrounds prior to joining. And I think the Black Hole fleet is just very welcoming to those people. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, you have these certain buoys to work and you're going to go out there and you're going to work until they're done. Mm-hmm. And so I'll walk you through the process of how we get started here is this is from the non-rates perspective first, because we'll start at the lowest level possible and work our <laughs> way up all the way to district, which Bozen used to be in charge. Oh. So we'll start out. My perspective is show up to work, know on the schedule we have a buoy trip coming up. So... Bozen comes down and says, these are the four buoys that we're going to be working next week that we're doing hull swaps on. We're doing a total of 13 buoys out there next week, but we're actually physically replacing four buoys because they're out of service. So our map building will come over and bring those buoys to us, and we have to align them on deck for stability-wise. So they end up not making the ship unstable and we try to strategically set them up for the order that we're going to be releasing them in based on uh, all of our data and stuff to be able to send them out. Right. Which side? Yep. We're going to plan on working the buoy. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you first now, Bozen, is where do you get this info from that these are the buoys we're working this week and these are the ones that we're going to need? Where so, does that come from? So there's a database that tracks the inspection cycles of every buoy and every aid to navigation in the Coast Guard from private aids to federal aids. And for the federal aids, those are the ones that the Coast Guard members maintain. And the private aids are like uh, individual, like a like a port facility wants a light out on their, their pier where they're supposed to mark it. You know, they will submit their application and, and they're responsible for maintaining that. But for the federal side of the house, uh, we'll pull a uh, report 
out of this database that says, okay, well, this buoy's coming up on inspection because it's been three years or two years since it was last inspected. And same thing with the relief where you were mentioning which one they'll bring over because it's at the end of its cycle, you know, a six, seven year steel hull buoy. So once we pull that report, verify the dates and uh, make sure everything's been updated so we can have create our work list from that. Well, I think what's uh, super cool too is that if you imagine, let's say you're a doctor at a clinic and you have files on every one of your patients, we being the buoy tender doctors, mm-hmm. <laughs> doctor in the buoys, we have a file known as a FID on every single buoy that we have in our AOR area of operation. Yep, that FID and, is a, yep, the Federal Information Document. And it has all the info of the history of that buoy. It has cradle to grave is what we, we call it. It's yep. When the second that, that buoy was established and put out there, it has that end service date, and then every inspection since then, it has a record of it and has comments in there about what we did, you know, what we changed, what we you know removed or anything like that, just in case there is ever any kind of maritime incident or. Uh, Stuff like that. Touching back too, that's old quartermaster work is keeping those FID documents. The quartermasters used to use the sextants to shoot horizontal sextant angles to position these buoys. Really? To make sure that they were on station. Yep. They would wow. have they would have uh, sort of like a graph paper, so it would be a maneuvering board. And you can even look back in some of our folders now for those that they would pick three points on land and they would shoot horizontal sextant angles with the sextant on its side, and to be able to position these buoys to where they were supposed to go before the, all the GPS inputs to computer systems and programs. That's a very much an art of a skill. Yep, it's sit up there on the flybridge all day long. and That's awesome. They, they call angles out. I see why some people really want to be quartermaster and <laughs> stuff. Um, so we have the FID document. Inside the FID document, it'll tell us a lot of info about characteristics of it. So... It'll say how often the light's supposed to be flashing. This is important so that when we actually get up to the light, we can see if it's flashing properly. It has information on how thick the chain should be mm-hmm. because if the chain, we have little micrometer calipers that we see how thick the chain actually is upon inspection of the chain. If it's too thin, that chain has to be replaced. And we have a projection called an ACR annual chafe rate of the chain, but... If it's more than we expected, we got to do math and some calculations to see, is this chain going to be thick enough when we have to come back here in a couple of years? Right. And, that, you know, it could also be, too, where the, you know, if that chain, if the anticipated wear is a minimum, a well below the minimum of what it's supposed to be, that chain could break, that buoy can end up on the beach, and then we have bigger issues. Which has happened. It has happened. You've been here. We have a nasty bit of current around Nantucket Island called Great Round Shoal that broke a buoy off and ended up on a beach. Yep. We had to call a helicopter. To, we had one of our shipmates dig out the buoy from the sand, and then we had to get a helicopter to attach to it you know, via slings, mm-hmm. and it had to drop it back in the water so our other Aton boat that goes in the shallow waters could be able to grab it and tow it over. <laughs> yeah, it was a big coordination with the uh, National Guard, Air National Guard, and the Coast Guard. So, Just there's so much work if these buoys end up off station. So our job is to make sure they don't end up off station. Right. 
So then just to fill people in by having worked Aton's side is you have the buoy. How does it stay in place and not float away? So we have big or really large concrete blocks. They're uh, anything up to like 12,000 pound concrete blocks. We have that 18,000 pound, 12,500 pounds. And even some of our smaller buoys have 250 pound concrete sinkers to them where they have what's called dormores, which are like pyramid anchors used for sandy areas and, and mud and stuff. And they will actually lay on their side and they'll dig into the sand. That's what our smaller foam buoys and stuff will be held to the bottom with. But uh, even even with some of these larger concrete sinkers and stuff, if a storm comes through, it can pick up that entire buoy and sinker and still remove it off station. Even though that's the chain and everything holds it there, it does have the opportunity to be off station. I think it shows just how powerful water is as a force on Definitely. the planet, too. To be able to pick up an 18,000-pound sinker. <laughs> a sinker and chain, yep, and buoy. And that chain is no laughing matter. Right, that chain weighs a lot, too. It is, and it's 90 feet average of, for one shot of chain, and we have two to three shots on, on these buoys up here. Wow. That's incredible, and they always seem to be knotted, too. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, I'll twist it up. So okay. you'll see it after hurricanes, you know, after hurricanes, the channels are completely destroyed with buoys off station and we have to go in and, and put everything back on station where, where it's a, it has what's called an AP, it's a signed position, uh, which is in the light list and it's on the chart. So everything marks where it needs to be. And thanks to modern GPS, now we also have a positioning app, US Ames, that we can use to accurately make sure that buoy goes back into place and on station and we can tell when the buoy is officially on the well the sinker of the buoy is officially on the sea floor because you can see the chain yep lose tension yeah so you're actually positioning the sinker not the buoy mm-hmm. yep and then the buoy will float almost around the chain yep it's called a watch circle radius okay that. and that is the area the buoy should be so when we say we find it 20 yards off station it's moved about 60 feet in the past two years, which is still pretty incredible Yeah, yeah. for something you would imagine would just stay there. And then when you pull those sinkers up too, they're very eroded mm-hmm. in some cases that they've been there a while. Yeah. That area you were talking about, Great Round Shoal, is, you know, we'll pull sinkers up and the chain will wear the top corners of the sinkers off where the current will move the whole, the whole buoy and chain and everything off just because of current. Well, this is the theoretical side that we've been talking about with the buoys. So. Yeah. Now the physical side. All right. So again, non-rates perspective. A whole lot of us, the BMs, non-rates, we have MKs that come out of the buoy deck. DCs work the buoy deck. So it's not a rate-specific thing that works the buoy deck. If you go bosun mate or you are a non-rate, that is your primary job out underway on at least this 225. I don't know if it was different on yours. No, it's it's all as you're part of deck force. That's you okay. are, you're out on deck working the buoys and stuff. Other rates can elect to go out and work the buoys too. And it's, it's very much encouraged because you can use all the help we can get out there sometimes. Right, yeah. Being on a buoy tender, it's one team and uh, it helps you know, with everybody coming out there on deck and sharing the work. You know, I think the most important thing too is consistently coming out. So there's a lot of rates that they'll try a buoy and we have to get them all this gear and then they decide oh it's not for me and they don't come back out but they keep the gear or something yeah, yeah right so it's nice when you have those consistent people we have a dc1 on board who went all the way through the process again his rigor qualification and again his fuel torch oxy acetylene qual and he's the crane operator 
Mm-hmm. And those are the people that we love to see out there. <laughs> yeah, it works out great because you can run the crane and, and we can focus on our other responsibilities mm-hmm. of being safety observers or the buoy deck supervisors or the riggers on deck, you know. So, And then we get to get down on deck and play. <laughs> and that's what everyone wants to do because it's a lot of fun. Yes. So I'll walk through people just the initials of what ends up happening so how this whole buoy process goes and why you might enjoy this too is because we end up pulling up to a buoy we see where the buoy actually is in the water and especially those hole swaps you can tell it just needs to be replaced there might be a bunch of bird poop on it it has some broken dents in it and uh some what we call the high area of the buoy the part that you can physically see the cage part of the buoy might have a little dent or (laughs) Yeah, some of them look like the ships hit them and the cage will be all bent and twisted and leaned over. And And everything on the buoy is actually there to assist us with the retrieval and stuff of it. And that's why there's a whole top open part called the cage and they have these bottom eye-looking parts that we can hook our hooks into to get up and on the deck. So what's really cool about the buoy tender is that at least the 225s. I'm not sure about the 175s. The 225s have dynamic positioning. Yeah, the 175s had it as well. Okay, so but maybe the, the 180s didn't? The 180s did not. They right. had it as a single screw ship with a thruster, a bow thruster on it. And um, from what I understand, they had to sit there and turn that rudder and work it, work the throttles all day long to try to hold that ship where it needed to be. So, But I wasn't on it. But with the 175s, they actually have Z drives on those. Oh, okay, that's that's even better. That's a pod. Yep. Well, yeah, the Z drives they you know they'll go and point out, kind of opposing each other, and be able to position. You can drive a one seventy five wherever you want to go, and it also has a bow thruster on it too. So, but with the dynamic positioning system, you just push a button and it holds position. When it works. When it works. <laughs> so. That's the nice thing about having dynamic position on the new buoy tenders is we can pull up to that buoy and you can oftentimes, at least I don't know if they do the same more, but they used to use the joystick to get mm-hmm. up there perfectly. Yep. So we'll use the joystick. We'll use a computer. We'll shift everything over to the positioning computer, the dynamic positioning computer first. We'll use the joystick, like you mentioned, which controls the forward and aft and side to side movement of the ship. So you don't have to keep messing with a whole bunch of different knobs and switches and everything on the console. It's all right there. So you pull up next to the buoy. You Most of the time, you would like your bow and all your elements you know, off the bow or, or kind of slightly off the bow a little bit uh, just because the ship is made to go forward through through the current and everything. So once you position there, you, look, you, know, you take your wind into account. You can thrust from side to side over to where the buoy needs to be or bring the buoy along to the buoy port and... You know, you'll pass the cage line into that cage where you're talking about in the top opening and stuff. And that's where you actually start getting a hold of everything and working to pick that buoy up. And there's different rank file class on the buoy deck too, based on your experience level. And I think that's important to mention at this point is when you start out, you're not qualified on the buoy deck. You're a green hat. And that's your time to be taught, coached, learn how the process goes because it's not something anyone's going to pick up overnight. Some people take to it a lot quicker than others, but there's a lot of learning when you get out there because there's a lot of steps in the evolution. Mm -hmm. There's a whole 
concrete evolution basis. And of course, different things happen when you start pulling the buoy up. Sometimes you get weird things that have double sinkers. (laughs) But there is a base evolution with a lot of steps you have to follow. And there's a lot of processes to fixing the buoy and getting it back out. And so while you're learning all that, you're a green hat breaking in. Once you've been around a while and you have all the steps down, you become a qualified rigger and a blue hat and you start teaching the new people how to be safe during the evolution. Safety is the number one priority of everyone's concern. We have it to the point where there's a safety overhead watching us and the yellow hats are safeties, blue hats are safeties, and green hats are safeties. But your job becomes more and more safety oriented as you go up as well too. Right. And as you learn that evolution... There's certain sign-offs and certain uh, milestones you're supposed to meet. And throughout all of the buoy tenders, the evolution is essentially the, the basics of it is the same. You know, there's always a, that random two-sinker buoy you're going to pull up or you're going to pull up knotted chain. And, you know, you're going to run into situations like that. But we train everybody so you can go from one buoy tender and if you mm-hmm. another buoy tender needs help, you can go help them too. Because we're all one team, one family. So. Right. So it's almost like a universal language, whereas people from different countries can play music together. People from different cutters can work a buoy together. Exactly. And that's because we have that set that we want to be able to translate to other cutters. So that's why a lot of people end up staying in the Black Hole Mafia too because they've already worked hard, gotten their qualifications for one. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to transition to another Black Hole compared to going to a completely different mission within the Coast Guard right. <laughs> realm. So when we pull up to the buoy, it's oftentimes the green hats that we like to get the hands-on experience with hooking the buoy together. And they'll oftentimes have a blue hat with them to show them how it's done properly, safely, and how to correctly do the motions because it's really easy when you start out to sometimes, oh, maybe this thing's backwards or upside down and it ends up making the process harder. Yeah, there's certain little tricks of the trade mm-hmm. you learn over time. So green hats and blue hats work hand in hand together, but we're all taking commands from a yellow hat known as the BDS. And they're the ones that are running the evolution. So What's really cool about the BDS job is they're oftentimes, because they're working how to pull all the different strains to get that buoy on safely with wind element conditions and stuff, and they're looking out for green hats, blue hats, everyone's safety on deck, and they're also trying to figure out the puzzle of how to get the buoy on deck and get all the chain up, so there's a lot of going on in the BDS's mind when they're coaching everyone through it, and so... It really helps them when you have an experienced crew on deck to be able to aid in the assistance of that process of making them go smoothly. And that's where reps come into play, which fortunately we haven't had a lot of. Right. <laughs> and, and there's also been opportunities, like you said, where we've had blue hats and even green hats who are new at the job who ask those questions, who say, hey, this is supposed to look like this certain situation. you know. What I mean? And sometimes they've caught a situation that could have been hurtful to to the evolution and you know it was a safety issue so right there is there's definitely that's why everyone's safety out there too is because everyone's looking at everything going on out there and someone might see something no one else did yeah we do the evolution multiple times and you get that new set of eyes out there and they're gonna question Mm -hmm. something even just why something might be the way it is right but 
Um, so we get the buoy hooked up, pulled onto deck, and it oftentimes, at least in New England, I'm not sure about other parts, I'm sure they have different things on there. We have a lot of mussels and scallops on. Yeah, with mussels and scallops up here, Gulf Coast or down in the Keys, you know, South Florida stuff, you have fire coral on it. That I've heard dangerous it, stuff about that. Yeah, it'll, you want that touch go to skin. scrape that off, it'll burn your arms and stuff. Oof. Yeah, um, kelp and everything, so. So... We have people that will scrape all this stuff off the buoy because we can't have this stuff on the buoy. We have scrapers on deck, and you're actually physically going up there scraping it off. And then sometimes we, we had an ops that would save all the mussels and cook them for dinner that night. <laughs> From the chain. So fre- anti-fouling paint. Fre- freshest uh, mussels you can get. <laughs> yep. But you end up needing to have shovels to shovel all the stuff off deck. So there's another tool you need. And then... Yeah, and scraping the buoy, too, allows you to inspect that steel hull. Mm-hmm. Because over time, you know, that steel hull's been out there so long that you can check, you know, check it for dents. Or there's been times where we put a buoy down on deck and ended up punching a hole in the bottom of it because the metal was so thin. So if we didn't clean it off and didn't catch that, it could wear through and then your buoy sinks between its servicing intervals. Right, and we also, if we could determine that a buoy is taking on water and flooding somewhere, we have a testing kit that can test where that buoy is flooding from. Mm -hmm. We've had one time we've popped off the uh, little screw on there and water just starts pouring out of it. (laughs) Oh, this thing can't go back in. Nope, and it was full of water. So we end up getting it on deck, and the most common evolution that we do is called mooring inspection, where it's checking the chain out, making sure that all the chain sections are good. Likely, there's sections that are going to need to be replaced on that, uh, at least up here. I don't know if it's easier down south. Then you might get lucky sometimes. Yeah, we get like, a, lot of, a lot of mud and stuff down there, so it doesn't wear as much okay. as, as the rocky bottom up here in New England. So we oftentimes in New England, we replace that chain because we have our rocky bottoms here in New England. And because we have to replace the chain... We, there's a whole process where we have to, and this is really heavy chain, as we mentioned before, have to pull the chain out, use uh, mechanical equipment to get that all sorted out, and then each section of chain that you break off, you get to replace, so you need to have shackles and get ready to attach those pieces of chain back on. So that's where the fun part comes in with getting to hit it with sledgehammers and fire. And <laughs> Yeah, you heat that pin up and that thing, and you do what's called a heat and beat. So you... Put the two links of chain together and then hit it with a hammer and smash it, smash the hot part down. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Gets people uh, active, moving, gets their muscles going. Mm-hmm. Everyone's cheering them on. Yeah. So make it a lot of fun on the buoy deck. People have played music in parts of the evolution where there's not, there are parts where you do not want to play music, but right. you know, when it's actually just work going on, you're moving stuff around, inspecting, you get some music going on out there. That's it. <laughs> Business as usual. That's it. <laughs> go through, yeah. but so there's a whole set to get ready to go back out too. So that's what the blue hats and the green hats are doing is getting all that stuff set up, ready to go back out. And it surprisingly makes the day go by really fast because you'll look at your watch before you get out on deck and you'll take it off because you don't want to be wearing a watch while you're working buoys. And you'll finish the buoy and you'll look at your watch again. You'll say, wow, it's already been four hours and it's lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> that well, felt like an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's some of the, unfortunately, when some of our buoys are positioned so far apart up here, we can only work a couple in a day. But when you say it goes by pretty quick, you know, we, in the Gulf Coast and Florida and stuff, we would work six, seven buoys, eight buoys a day. 
And because you're working the channel, you're bouncing back and forth and through the channel and your day is over like that. And we're all, you, you're essentially working out all day long. Yeah, so you're get you're staying in pretty good shape, just naturally working on the deck too. And when you're underway, there's some busy days that you're not gonna be able to go to the gym necessarily, but you're getting a workout out on deck. Certainly. So workers workout version. <laughs> when thinking about though, if you want to join a buoy tender, know that also buoy tenders typically, unless they're on a special mission, don't go out for a month at a time. Because we have to go back into port to get more hulls and right. replace old hulls. So we get up several weeks in a row that we're going in and out, in and out. But we always have to come back to port too. So you'll likely never be too far from home in your area of operation unless we have a hurricane response to deal with. Right. Yeah. Hurricane response and stuff like that. Obviously, we'll everything will be, most of the stuff will be staged in your area. Mm-hmm. You'll load the deck up with a lot of buoys and stuff, you know, once the survey's done in the area. So if we have a storm first, the local units will do a survey of the, what you need. And then that sector or that unit that's coming to help will usually bring a lot of stuff with them, extra hulls, extra chain, and uh, drop it off somewhere, go work, come back, change out the deck. Just like you said, you know, they go in and out and stuff like that. And a lot of the buoy tenders are anchor at night. So it, it's a relief on the watch schedule as well. That is very nice because then you don't need as many watch standers up on the bridge. Right. So more people can sleep for the next morning to work buoys. Exactly. <laughs> and that just it really helps out the whole buoy deck crew to be able to work all day and hopefully, you know, not need as many watch standers so everyone can get more refreshed for the next day to come out there and work hard. Yep. And what's nice about up here is that we a lot of times we get those two-week trips because our buoys are so far apart. So we get a nice port call midway through that we have a nice weekend in Boston or Portland. And that's really nice for the area up here because it's a very old historic cities where there's a lot of culture and a lot of stuff to do in. Yeah, it's pretty cool getting out to see stuff and, mm-hmm. and being able to... And with the buoy tenders too, you mentioned just kind of the way we work. One of the things, we also get to hone our skills for ship driving because of our relation to where we work to our shoal water you know or the rocks or where a lot of these buoys are at most ships won't drive right on top of the stuff but we'll go over there and we'll learn where we need to position the buoy so it's pretty cool getting to actually you physically driving the ship uh, instead of some other units or some other times where you'll just go straight lines for days on end mm-hmm. so cutting circles in the water exactly and what I think is the cool part, too, is because of the level of platforms we have, it's not like on the 225 platform, we have officers on the bridge that are driving, but also qualified uh, BM1s mm-hmm. will be driving as well. And BM1 and BM2s. Some of the units that well, that's right. BM2s, BM2s will be underway ODs and stuff. They'll be driving. BMCs o and uh, bosons. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at other units, though, where you have ants, there's not as many officers on the boats. So you could be, I don't know if you've seen this pose or not, but you could be a non-rate driving the Busel. I haven't seen that. I know like, you know, BM3s and stuff will. Mm-hmm. Once you pass your rules of the road test, you know, you show the maturity and stuff like that. I would have no issue qualifying a non-rate to, to drive a boat. And if they do all the qualifications and get certified in it, that you're in an ant, typically an ant, you know, is, very minimally manned, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere from like eight to twenty people or something like that. So everybody 
shares in the roles of responsibilities of what needs to get done. But I'm sure it's happened. Well, I, I think that's what's cool about it too is that you have these smaller platforms and, you know, you think on big boats, not everyone joins the Coast Guard wants to work with a full boat full of brass, you'd call it. <laughs> There's a bunch <laughs> of officers on there. Yeah. They don't bite, but no. some people would prefer to have just, you know, a crew of nice listed people like themselves and go and work on a boat like that. So those... uh 175s that are sometimes run by warrants. That's mm-hmm. a really nice opportunity for them to have to be able to have that boat full of enlisted people go out and work buoys too. And yeah, some people like that. Yeah, some people do, and it's it's nice that they have that opportunity mm-hmm. because it one it teaches a lot of people responsibility when they need when they're put in that position, and two uh, they earn the qualifications it sets them up for future jobs and it sets them up for future opportunities for what they if something's open and they would like to apply for it right they can say hey look i did this this and that you know hey as a second class i was an underway od already so when they go to another boat they can be beneficial to to that unit as well if if they get qualified quicker on that unit then they can just go for bigger aspirations exactly so that just helps them in future jobs within the coast guard too yeah and what's really cool too is that we have these buoy tenders not the exact 175 225 platforms but there are river tenders too river tenders class of buoy boats yeah river tenders and construction tenders Mm -hmm. that is strictly all enlisted there is one warrant Actually, there's a couple warrant construction tenders and there's one warrant river tender. Most of it is strictly enlisted members running these construction tenders, building, building fixed aids navigation from anything from wood to steel structures, big range towers, you know, major ports and waterway stuff that, that these construction tenders are aging construction tenders that everybody's keeping going that they're, they're working on. Fortunately, we're getting new construction tenders and new river tenders now, but it's a lot of responsibility for the junior enlisted. Well, I've heard stories, too, of needing to use these old things called steamboat jacks mm-hmm. on them. Make the job easier for the, and you don't have those nice gripe chain combos. Yes, yep. What I think is cool, too, about that is I've heard stories about the rivers of some of the wildest things go on. People crawl on mud flats across the banks and stuff. Yeah, they'll, yeah. you know, where else can you, you beach a Coast Guard cutter? to be able to get up and there's hang a day board on a tree. You know what I mean? That's a, that's Western river stuff there that marking it. And I had a, I had a captain at district with me. He had a great, he's like, river goes up, buoys go out. <laughs> river goes down, buoys come in. Cause they mark a certain depth on the Western rivers for that with the river tenders. They, they go up the river, move the buoys, come up back up the river, move them back. Well, I think that's really neat, too, is because when you think of the Coast Guard, you don't really think of this whole river system. Yeah, all of the Mississippi River, Tennessee River, Mm -hmm. all the way up, you know, all the way to the Great Lakes. They have buoy tenders even in the Allegheny River in western Pennsylvania. Yeah. (laughs) And they go all the way through our country, all these river systems, and Mm -hmm. all the way to the Great Lakes, where we also have 225 buoy tenders on the lakes, moving all the way around. So. It's really an open career for not just a regional thing because it's everywhere. Yep. Maybe not in Montana. You're not going to find a buoy tender, but you're not <laughs> going to find the Coast Guard there in Montana at all. Right. But 
you're going to find in pretty much every every major waterways mm-hmm. it's going to be a an aton unit and we're all there for the same mission to service the people around exactly <laughs> that's the the coolest thing about aton that i'd say yep is like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode you'd see the results of your work yeah so what would you recommend people if they i guess are thinking about joining the coast guard and they're on the fence about a buoy tender. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. What, what would be the best way you could sum it up to advise it to them? Uh, work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. Work hard, <laughs> play hard. One. Yep. I would definitely at least take the opportunity. If you're on the fence about a buoy tender, you want to see the... The hidden side of the Coast Guard. Yeah. You know, it's 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 an opportunity that that a lot of people, like you said, you don't know that the Coast Guard does the Aton mission, but it's one of the, you know, it's a, it's a vital mission, you know, it's a vital job that needs to get done. And well, I'd say too, it's just something that a lot of people, I think if they knew about, there'd never be buoy tender pictures available. (laughs) Everyone would want to keep that black hole fleet of secret. Those always go first. I looked at a, this guy's pick list from the MSST. Right. All buoy tenders up there on top That's after funny. he worked with us for... Funny enough, we weren't even doing buoys that week. Oh, wow. But he just he's really liked the crew and the platform. We have a bigger boat than a 210. And mm-hmm. we have... I think our... Do we have 45 people on board? Yeah, or? 43 or 45. So around 45 people on board. So about... 30 to 40 less people than a 210. Yeah, we're, I mean, what I tell everybody when they check in and, and stuff like that, I mean, we're a family on board. Like you said, we work, we have many different rates that come out on deck and work with each other. You typically don't have a lot of that on some of the larger whitehall cutters, but on a buoy tender, you know, you, you're a family, you're a crew, you work together, you play hard together, and you cross train with each other. There is, there is a lot of cross train. I've been pulled for so many different projects that aren't deck related on this boat just because they need us. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have a full department. Some larger boats, I guess, have 10 plus firemen. Mm-hmm. Our boat has two. Yeah. At full capacity. Well, yeah, we have 30, 30 deck department, you know, 30 deckies on the polar roller. I mean, what do we have now? Like five? You had eight at one point. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know so, if that'll ever happen again. I don't know. But, you know, we've we've had a lot of missions this year that aren't buoy tender related. Uh, we went to Greenland for a month mm-hmm. doing uh, Operation Argus and did the migraine interdiction that we talked about in the last episode. And I think having that family culture developed on the buoy tender, though, made us a stronger crew for those missions. Oh, certainly. Especially the Operation Argus, all the different things we do with search and rescues and doing the boom deployments. Yeah. Uh, we were in uh, Greenland Fjords for that. That was a really cool mission that I'll be talking about in a future episode. But it really helped being able to have that crew cohesiveness. And I, I found that to be quite unique on a buoy tender because my previous boat, we had over 100 sailors on it. And a lot of times at the end of the workday, if we had a social gathering for whatever it is, ice cream social or popcorn domestic, we'd get around with our friends and hang out. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more of just going back to your room and hanging out in your room at the end of the workday. Whereas on this boat, I see a lot of people hanging out together in the cruise lounge, the mess deck or the log office. 
Yeah. And I think it's just that whole buoy culture mentality that's rubbed off. Yeah. Every, every Aton unit that I've either been at or even when I was in Galveston, kind of working indirectly with the construction tenders, they were awesome crews together. Everybody would work together. They, you know, they knew each other's families. They, they were essentially a family on board, you know, and I could go down there and be like, hey, you know, I was welcomed as part of the crew. It's a really unique, nice specialty to have and be able to hold tight and close to us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I guess to wrap up this episode, would you give any more advice about buoy tenders? If let's say someone likes the Black Hole Mafia mm-hmm. and how to make it a career for themselves. You talked about you've been on 175s, 225s, amp units. That's three units right there. Yep. You go work at a district. Yeah, I was district and uh, waterways, federal projects. And then between the construction tenders and the river tenders, uh, you got plenty of opportunity to keep bouncing back and forth. Some people will do their whole career on uh, river tenders just because of the opportunities that are there and the, and the billets that are open. Um, the construction tenders and stuff, you can, everywhere we have 175s, I'm pretty sure there's a construction tender within a, the sector that people can transfer to. So if you want to bounce back and forth and work the same area, those jobs are there. Plenty of plenty of jobs and plenty of opportunity. And what I've noticed in the Aton world is all the buoy yards kind of help each other out with supplies and gear. I called the, the guys in Galveston the other day and they're like, hey, we need chain up here. So I got to point, put that in contact with the, you know, the Aton guys mm. up here and stuff. So there's opportunities to build the relationships, to network, and to experience every type of Aton unit you can. Well, I think that's really cool too, because just if people like that Aton side of stuff, I know if I was to go on a bosun mate career path, I'd probably want to stay in the Aton realm yeah, in some capacity. So it's nice to be able to have that opportunity that there's so many types of platforms that you're not pigeonholing yourself because it's such a wide open array and, mm-hmm. and such an important part of the Coast Guard. Yeah, like if you go to a station and stuff, you're multi-mission. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's your avenue and that's kind of your path. If you go to Aton, like you said, you got you have the different types of cutters. You have the, the shoreside Aton units. You have the district Aton waterways that you can go to. You have um, buoy yards you can go to. So there's a bunch of different opportunities to stay in that Aton. Except Coast Guard Cutter Oak. Except Coast Guard Cutter Oak. <laughs> Just joking on that one. But <laughs> we, we've had a lot of opportunities to do cool things this year. We really have. We so it's it's nice. And our, our buoy boat, the 225s, is rated to be a multi-mission platform. I was going to say, I think why. we're becoming more multi-mission now that between Aton, we do, lot, we, we do law enforcement too. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every year we, we're supposed to do fishery boardings and stuff. So between that, obviously we're going to do search and rescue if the opportunity presents itself. But it's essentially an icebreak. What's that? And an icebreak. Break, yeah, too. and icebreak. Yeah, one seventy five and the two twenty five is all icebreak. So you're not only doing aton, you're also opening the door to all the other opportunities in the Coast Guard. So my last question then would be that buoy tender that's on the Great Lakes, the Mackinac that captain sailed on mm-hmm. 
Is that a special class of buoy tender that the reason why it's painted red and it's bigger than the other buoy tenders? Or is that not primarily a buoy tender? It's primarily an icebreaker? I'd have to look that one up. Okay. I don't know. Honestly. Okay. Um, yeah, because I have never really looked into the Mackinac. Because it's, you know. I know they work buoys. They work buoys. They break ice. So... They do the Christmas tree run every year, too, which is pretty cool. They're painted red. And they're painted red. That's the suspicion of it. So what is it? I guess that's the question <laughs> of the day. <laughs> well, thank you again, Bozen, for coming on for this two-part episode. I certainly appreciate it. And appreciate having you and sharing your knowledge to our viewers. You've filled in two big holes that we've had on this episode for over a year. No Bozen made us come on before and no Uh-oh. Aton expert. Oh, well, um, hopefully I helped out where I could and... Uh, answered any questions you had yes of course and of course anyone interested in joining the coast guard definitely there are buoy tenders out there it is a group in the coast guard black hole mafia so research into buoy tenders and what their mission is and you may too find yourself wanting to come on to a buoy tender and whatever rate you choose we have Almost all the seagoing rates on the 225. I'm not going to say all of them because we don't have gunner's mates. Right. The boats mates do the gunner's mate stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's independent duty, SKs, HSs, YNs. We have ETs on board. No OSs either. Mm-mm. But for the most part, most seagoing rates, there's some form of capacity. There's a small EM shop, small DC shop, but everything is going to be small. Because we have 45 crew members right. for the whole ship. And you can imagine that you know, there's a big chunk that are officers and non-rates, so not the other rates that you think about. But yeah, it's a really fun experience, and it's fun at any stage of your career. What's, what I find to be the coolest thing about it is you can meet MK1, like MK1 Hadouar wants to get out there. And he's going to start out right at the bottom as the green hat who's never worked a buoy. That's I it. You can already tell he's going to move quickly. <laughs> yeah. He is uh, pretty excited to get out on deck and then move up to the crane. So. so it allows you to get crane qual opportunities too if you're an engineer. Yep. So that is really cool about it though is that regardless of where you are in your career, you start out on the bottom when you mm-hmm. come to the buoy tender and work your way up again from there. Yep. That's cool from my perspective to see maybe frustrating. <laughs> yeah, we also have the uh, buoy tender roundups every year too. Mm-hmm. The, so that's that's a lot of fun and a lot of teamwork and stuff between a uh, little competition between all the buoy tenders that come to the area. and Call it a mini Olympics sort of deal. We have all the buoy tenders come. We do heat and beats and chain poles in the parking lot. We look like crazy animals to the <laughs> civilians on the outside of the gate. But yep. we have a lot of fun with it. That's it. Yeah. So we have fun here. <laughs> it really is. It's a lot of fun. So... Thank you, everyone, again for listening into this episode. And if you have any questions, please reach out on the Instagram page at Coast to Coasties, and let me know what you want to see covered. This is um, wrapping up season one here pretty shortly, but you know, season two is coming up, and we're gonna have a lot more great guests. So I want to thank everyone again for uh, continuing to support the channel and. Uh, listening and making it happen you guys have been listening from all over the world really and i really appreciate it so i uh hope you all have a great day and please share with your friends and uh look forward to seeing you in the next episode thank you